I was highly anxious. I had, couldn't concentrate. I couldn't make a decision. I was doubting myself. I wasn't sleeping. Um, you know, I was feeling depressed. And uh, I mean, it was just, I wasn't eating. Like, there was all these things. And I, I, at one point, I picked up the phone and called the doctor's office because I was going to get put off on stress leave because I couldn't take it. And I didn't want to go to work, which is ridiculous because I love my job. That's Don Peters. Don is a registered social worker and works within the field of mental health and addiction. She's recounting her own experience of being bullied in the workplace. Years have passed since this experience, and yet you can still hear frustration in her voice as she talks about the physical toll it took on her. The effects were real. They're significant. There are few Canadian statistics on workplace bullying, but U.S. studies suggest that 37% of workers have been bullied. 45% of those targeted by workplace bullies reported stress levels that affected their health. If those numbers sound a little staggering, well, they should. This issue is much more prevalent than we realize. Incidences of workplace bullying happen four times more than sexual harassment. Despite both its prevalence and its undeniable health impacts, we seem to talk about this issue differently than other workplace risks. In the lab, we are accustomed to being surrounded by hazards. We have extensive SOPs, and we wear PPE to protect us from those hazards. But those measures can't protect us from the way we treat each other. And if you think the risks associated with workplace bullying are any less real than the other hazards in the lab, then, well, we have some talking to do. I'm Kathy Bowers, and you're listening to The Objective Lens. Dawn Peters is a busy woman. In addition to being a registered social worker, Dawn is also a shop steward with the Nova Scotia Government and General Employees Union. That's the union which represents lab professionals in the province. She has worked for the union for the past 21 years and is currently the vice president of Local 193. Over that time, she has gotten a good look at the inner workings of the healthcare culture and workplace issues that arise there. Dawn has also been a bully-free workplace facilitator for the past five years, educating work sites on bullying and changing the culture of acceptable behavior within the workplace. I told you, she's busy. When Dawn talks about the issue of bullying in the workplace, you can hear her passion for the subject. This passion comes from seeing firsthand the effect that bullying is having. As a shop steward, I mean, I, I've certainly, you know, heard heard many stories, and um, you know, and through this this uh, workshop, there's always people that stay behind to tell you their story, and and most times there's tears. Whether it's a man or a woman, um, it's, it's just devastating to people. And you shouldn't have to deal with that when you go to do your job. We all have a pretty clear picture in our minds of what schoolyard bullying is. Many of us have seen or experienced this firsthand. But when we are talking about workplace bullying, we aren't talking about someone stealing your lunch money. I spoke with Henrietta Van Hool, Executive Director, Health and Community Services of the Public Services Health and Safety Association, or the PSHSA. Try saying that three times fast. The PSHSA is funded by the Ontario Ministry of Labour 
and works with Ontario's public sector employers and workers, providing training, consulting, and resources to reduce workplace risks and prevent occupational injuries and illnesses. In 2010, the PSHSA authored a comprehensive handbook on bullying in the workplace. It's a great resource, and we'll post a link to it on our website, podcast.csmls.org, if you'd like to check it out. Here's Henrietta describing what workplace bullying is. But we do know that there's three um, different types of bullying. There's top-down, so from management down to the worker level. There's lateral, so across peers, and that's not necessarily in the same profession. And then there's bottom-up, so that's workers uh, bullying managers or supervisors. When we look at the specific behaviours that define what bullying is, Henrietta says it's helpful to start by looking at behavior that is not bullying. Part of that is is understanding what is not bullying. So there is a certain amount of teasing that may happen. And when you think about teasing, it's really fun for both participants. So it's different from taunting where, where it's not. You know, there may be occasional raised voices, um, but if there's n- not a power differential and it's happening once, um, that that certainly wouldn't meet the definition of bullying. As a manager, um, you have to be comfortable to know that you can actually legitimately request people to perform work. Um, you can that's part of your responsibility and and you can actually provide constructive criticism or make suggestions on how people can improve their work. but the the clearest piece is that it has to be done fairly and equitably. And that's the primary responsibility of the supervisor. Don echoes that sentiment and starts to help us identify characteristics of bullying behavior. Normal managerial activities like requests under the individual's regular job description, routine performance appraisals, poor communication skills, personality differences, and perceived slights, uh, like behavior that may be rude and thoughtless, but not necessarily abusive, because, I mean, people's personalities being what they are, someone may come in and have a bad day, that is not necessarily bullying. Because, like, bullying, under the definition, is repeated and persistent. Um, It often becomes worse over time. It occurs with an imbalance of power or perceived imbalance of power. And it is offensive, intimidating, and humiliating. Denise Allen is a professor at the Hankin School of Economics in Helsinki, Finland. Her 2003 paper on workplace bullying, which is often cited by other works on the subject, defines bullying as a repeated, persistent, continuous behavior and is generally associated with a power imbalance between the victim and the perpetrator, where the victim feels inferior. It is a negative and persistent abuse. We know that there are certain uh, types of behaviors like verbal aggression, uh, withholding information, withholding job responsibility, um, spreading rumors, social isolation that are descriptors of bullying. But it comes becomes more about having a discussion of what that might look like within an individual workplace. As with all human behaviors, the behavior Henrietta is describing exists on a spectrum. And these behaviors can start at one end and escalate. It might start with incivility and then move up to bullying or harassing behavior and eventually to violence if it's not addressed. But when we look at bullying um, on its own, it's degrading, it's intentional, it's cumulative, 
and it's associated with a power imbalance. So those are the kind of the four factors we specifically look at um, when we look at, at bullying. You might think that when we talk about the idea of a power imbalance, that we are only talking about the top-down form of bullying. However, power, in various forms, tends to be a part of the equation in almost all bullying scenarios. Henrietta explains. And in most instances, even when it's bottom-up, it's still about power, and it may be perceived power. So it could be based on seniority, length of time that they have been in the workplace, or their ability to gather support from other workers that cause that bottom-up bullying to occur. So power is still one of the biggest factors. And so we aren't really talking about crazy bosses abusing their power, which is where my mind usually goes when I think about workplace bullying. And that leads to a pretty unsettling truth about this issue. Don explains this further. It's actually more common for employee to employee um, to bully each other than it actually is for management to bully employees, which is kind of the stereotypical view of bullying. Um, but it's actually more common in employee to employee. Um, and it, bullying, it's, it is offensive and intimidating or humiliating. So it's like ongoing, on going to work every day and being diminished on an, on an ongoing basis. And over time, that really takes its toll on individuals. You see, as it turns out, it's us who are bullying each other. Peers, coworkers, we are hurting each other. When people are sick, they go to hospitals to get better. They are places of healing. Yet there is something about the workplace culture within healthcare facilities that lends itself to incidences of bullying and harassment. It's ironic, tragically ironic. But why is this the case? Ray Geldreich is the Health Safety and Wellness Advisor with the Health Sciences Association of Alberta. The HSAA represents approximately 24,000 healthcare workers in the province of Alberta, 6,000 of which are lab professionals. I asked Ray why we see so many incidences of workplace bullying and harassment in healthcare, and here were his thoughts. If we look at um, you know research probably from the, the past 25 years, we know that healthcare has a lot of risk factors um, for bullying and harassment. Um, so we, we know things like a hierarchical uh, work, work environment, which has traditionally been the case in healthcare, you know, with, with the physicians at the top of the pecking order, nursing staff, and then other healthcare disciplines, and at the lowest end, support staff. Um, well, that's starting to change now. Um, that type of culture shift is, is, is slow to happen, and it's still, that hierarchy still exists to a, a significant extent in healthcare. And we know that that can breed bullying and harassment. There's also a lot of stress in healthcare. Um, you know, stress in terms of, you know, patients with and and their families with, um, you know, facing very serious injuries and illnesses, and a lot of that that stress can can transfer over to to the staff members. There's also a lot of stress in terms of, um, you know, healthcare workers. They go into the industry because they want to to help people. And when they see a lack of resources or they don't feel that they're able to help people to the, the best of their abilities, 
that can create um, strife and disconnect and, and stress in, their, in, the, in the lives of the healthcare worker. And um, that can also lead to, to bullying and harassment, that, that internal um, stress. So, you know, we know bullying is a result of, of individuals looking for control or trying to create control. So in healthcare where there can be that lack of predictability or lack of control, um, it really is, um, I don't want to say, it, it is a breeding ground for, for certain individuals to gravitate towards that, that type of bullying and harassment behavior. And the statistics both out of Canada, U.S., and even Europe support that um, healthcare um, does have one of the highest rates of bullying and harassment compared to any other industry. I posed the same question to Henrietta, and she agreed that the prevalence of stress and the power structures and hierarchy of hospitals can both breed conflict. She also sees another contributing factor, the generation gap. Right now is probably the first time in history we have four different generations of healthcare workers trying to coexist together. Each generation has its own unique characteristics and value systems. When these value systems are in conflict with each other, the result is friction. It's, it's about the way they work and their perceived commitment to the profession that is a, a risk. So if you think about uh, a nurse is getting called in for an extra shift, depending on the generation, they may say, absolutely, I'll be there immediately. Or they may say, how much extra are you going to pay me? Or they may say, I- I'm busy with my personal life right now. I am not going to come in. If you're listening to this list and thinking there is one glaring omission, you're right. It's hard to have a conversation about the culture of healthcare without mentioning physicians. It's part and parcel of the hierarchical power structures, but it is significant enough to warrant mentioning on its own. Physicians sit atop the power structure of healthcare, so their behavior, both good and bad, sets the example for the rest of the healthcare team. And the reality is, it isn't always good. There is a a fair bit of research that's been done with nursing that points to physician disruptive behavior, and in some places they've even instituted a code pink in um, operating rooms when there's been disruptive behavior from a physician towards a nurse, and the nurses would call a code pink, and other nurses would come and gather and support the nurse and and ask for the behavior to stop from the physician. It wouldn't be fair to label all physicians as having disruptive behavior. And you can certainly argue that the reputation is due to a few bad apples. That may be true, but as the proverb says, it only takes one bad apple to spoil the bunch. Dr. Ruth Namey has a PhD in clinical psychology and spent much of her career treating individuals with chemical dependency problems. That is until 1995, when a career change introduced her to what she calls the boss from hell. Dr. Namey experienced what she would later learn to call workplace bullying behavior, and it led to the demise of her previously happy career. At the time, the term didn't really exist in America. Neither did the legislation or the resources to assist Dr. Namey in navigating the situation. This led Ruth and her husband, Dr. Gary Namey, to found the Campaign Against Workplace Bullying in Benicia, California. 
Over the last 20 years, this evolved and transformed into the Workplace Bullying Institute, the only U.S. organization to focus on all aspects of workplace bullying. In the spring of 2012, WBI conducted a survey asking bully targets to check health symptoms associated with their bullying experience. 516 respondents completed the survey. The results are more than a little disquieting. Anxiety was the most common psychological symptom of workplace bullying, reported by 80% of the survey of respondents. Panic attacks were second, afflicting 52%. Almost half of the respondents reported being diagnosed with clinical depression, 30% reported being diagnosed with PTSD, and 19% with acute stress disorder. Physical health problems were also reported at an alarming rate, with heart palpitations and hypertension being reported by 61% and 60% respectively. Migraine headaches, irritable bowel disorder, chronic fatigue syndrome, and sexual dysfunction were also commonly reported. Here is where the results get truly frightening. Violence directed at others was planned by 14% of respondents. Almost a third of respondents had contemplated suicide, and 16% actually planned how to commit it. When I read those results, I couldn't help going back to one of my earlier thoughts. We are doing this to each other. We are seeing it happen in our workplaces, and we are simply not doing enough to make it stop. That thought haunts me, and I kind of hope it haunts you a little too. On September 8, 2010, the Nova Scotia Government and General Employees Union launched its bully-free workplace program. Our past president, Joan Jessam, uh, she identified um, through listening to her to our members that this was an issue. She made it her life work, I guess, among all the other things that she did do to create this program and elevate it um, it's important that we needed this um, for our employees. And from that, it has expanded exponentially. Since it began, the program has been delivered to over 16,000 participants throughout Nova Scotia. Core to the approach is the understanding that peer-to-peer facilitation is an effective method to begin discussions about workplace bullying and to facilitate solutions. With that in mind, the NSGEU has trained facilitators who are available to go into workplaces across the province to deliver the program. I'll let Dawn explain more about the program. It ended up not just being for our NSGEU members, but we wanted to expand that to employers um, and also non-NSGEU people in the community because it's that important. So, so we trained facilitators um, who are all NSGEU members um, to go out onto, into the community and provide this training. And from that, uh, they, what was created was a two-hour awareness program, a six-hour uh, more in-depth workshop, um, and they, there has been research uh, and development all the way along. Um, they've created a train-the-trainer program. They've become a very important community resource. Um, they have a, a comprehensive program evaluation with it. And from that, there's also been restorative workplace practices, an empathic program, uh, and also an online program. So it's just kind of grown and, so, and, and being recognized internationally for the work that they have been doing. 
So it's really unique, and um, we're really proud of it. And uh, it'll it'll continue to evolve, I'm sure, um, because it's something that affects so many of our members. When you speak with Dawn, it's easy to tell how proud she is of the program, and she should be. The NSGEU has received national and international recognition for their work. The program is endorsed by the Mental Health Commission of Canada. They've also been recognized by Excellence Canada. Those are not small accomplishments. Part of the program's success comes from the fact that it is focused on solutions. It's not about being punitive. It's about how do we address this um, in a civil manner and find ways to make sure that it doesn't happen again. Because in talking with a lot of employees, most times when you ask them, well, what kind of redress do you want? What would you like to see happen? And most times people just want it to stop. You know, some people want a letter on their file or they want the person to have training themselves or whatever. But most people just honestly want it to stop. We'll add links to the Bully Free Workplace program on our website. I encourage you to check it out in more detail. I'll let Dawn leave you with one final thought on the program. Through the program, you know, it's just really sending home the message that bullying is a form of workplace violence. And under our Occupational Health and Safety Act, it is the employer's responsibility to create a safe safe working conditions for our employees. And if they know that it's not safe, then they need to, you know, make, make it so. And so uh, having a bullying workplace, having bullies in the workplace or someone being bullied when they come to work um, is not okay. We have covered a lot of ground, but we are still just scratching the surface of this topic. So we're going to continue this discussion in next week's episode. We'll get more union insights about the complaint process, and we'll also get some advice from an employment lawyer. Here's a quick peek. Workplace safety is a shared responsibility, but ultimately the the buck stops with the employer. So from my perspective, there's two parts to the employer's role in handling incidences of bullying. So the first part of an employer's role is a proactive one. So employers need to be proactive when it comes to bullying in the workplace and stop the conduct before it begins, if that's at all possible. And to do so, the employers need to foster a workplace culture that is positive and respectful. And generally, just to expect others to treat everyone with kindness, even in difficult situations. If you or someone you know is dealing with this issue and need resources, I encourage you to check out CSMLS's Mental Health Toolkit. You can access it at mentalhealth.csmls.org. I'll also have the link up on the website. If you're in distress right now and are in crisis, please visit your local emergency center or call 911. Help is available. Until next week, I'm Kathy Bowers. Take care of yourself and each other. The Objective Lens is written and produced by Michael Grant and myself, Kathy Bowers, and is the official podcast of the Canadian Society for Medical Laboratory Science. Editing and technical assistance by Joel Tresini. Administrative support by Ridmilla Minor. For other episodes, supplemental content, and bonus material, visit our website at podcast.csmls.org. 
If you're in the medical laboratory field, you'll want to go to the website to find a link to a short quiz. By completing the quiz, you will earn a certificate verifying professional development hours for listening to this episode. We'd love to hear from you. Come chat with us on Twitter at CSMLS or on Facebook. You can find us at facebook.com slash CSMLS. <laughs>